continue to talk about um, this subject material in a different way. Next week, I've been working on something about the spirit world and what's really going on behind the scenes, pulling back the curtains a little bit to get a little inside what Scripture has to say. So be praying about this, but we'll wrap up our subject here on pride. I'm going to kick off with the vanity of pride, of course, the the sin that pays. And here we go. The devil's in the. Okay, hold on. I might have gotten it. Let's see. It's getting a battery, but why isn't clicking? Yeah, I told you he messes with us. He doesn't want, remember, he's the father of pride. Ezekiel 28, the anointed cherub, Lucifer, committed the very first sin in eternity. And it was heart was lifted up. So when you start talking about the subject of pride, you're talking about the master of pride. and The one who's manipulating and deceiving through this uh, pride. But vanity of pride is the sin that pays pays tribute to self. It's the self-serving lifestyle. What Satan wants is for you and I to focus on our own selves and what serves us best, and he wins every time. Instead of serving God, he wants us to serve ourselves. And It's really about what max, I'm maximizing what's best for me versus what's best for God. And we struggle with this all our lives. We're throwing this temptation all the time to what's in it for me. And I have the old saying, it's to serve or to be served. Those are the two choices we have in life, to serve or be served. Now, when I was young, pride was, I think when you're younger, it's, we're a lot more full of pride. And as we get older, we have less pride because we start, we're humbled through experiences in life, whether it's the natural effects that were just God working in our lives as Christians. Uh, but I certainly was full of pride when I was young. And, and it's not that I don't have pride or don't struggle with pride today. And certainly it doesn't matter with Carlos now knocking on 80, but really at 78, he struggles with pride. The reality is we struggle with pride till we take our last breath. So we don't ever think that, oh, we've got pride conquered. Because that's when you're going to be tempted. But when you're younger, then life throws at you a lot of, God has a way of humbling you and, 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 and making you realize how dangerous pride is. And I'll talk a little bit about that this morning and how God's taught me some lessons through, through uh, humbling experiences. But how are we doing, brother? Okay, so why don't we go through this slide? I just kind of just kind of walked you through some of the comments that I just made to serve or be served as a question. Now the next slide, you know, the way to deal with pride head on, head on, is to think in terms of this. Jesus' own words, if you're going to be chief, then let him be your servant. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. That's the serve or be served. I'm either going to be a servant or I'm going to be someone who's being served all the time. And, and, and the Lord himself said he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. Boy, if every Christian had that attitude, we'd have a lot better, our churches would be a lot healthier. Praise the Lord, we have a lot of servants in this church. You ever heard the old statement, too many chiefs and not enough Indians? So, 
I love this verse, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of servant. This is the God who created us, left the portals of heaven, all its glory, all its power, to be born, of course, in the flesh of a virgin. And we know that he took upon himself no reputation. Now, when, that, when you read that word, no reputation, you know what that means? He wasn't important. Now, we know he was important, but he took on the form of not being important. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not really that important. Like, what I do might be important because that's what God gave me to do. But beyond that, I wouldn't be able to do it if God didn't give me the ability. And if I've been blessed with, I've been prospered and been successful, well, God gave me the ability. He opened the doors. He gave me the skills. And it's all because of God. I'm not that important. When I left work, I kept telling everybody, I'm not that important. When I was retiring, people said, man, Whiff, what are we going to do without you around here? And I said, trust me, in a few months, I will be forgotten. Oh, no way. We'll be talking. Three months later, done. I, you know, you know, just what happens is natural. It's like, hey, he's on to his life. I'm, I got to take care of my own. We're not that important. But we think we're important. And we can get rid of that thinking by having the mind that Christ had, taking no reputation and the form of a, there it is, servant. That, that hits pride head on. That's how you keep yourself from being full of pride. And the next slide it's the vanity of pride, Ecclesiastes, if you wanted a footmarker today, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is a good place. In verses 4 through uh, 11, while we're not going to read all this, uh, Solomon, who was the wisest man in the world at the time, and who God gave just about anything he wanted, and, and he, he writes about this experience, in verses 4 through 11, he makes comments like, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchids. I planted trees. And he just goes on and on and I and me and myself. In fact, he repeats it 18 times in seven verses. He's full of himself. It's all about what I did, what I accomplished. And he gets back and he looks about, you know, he's experiencing life. He looks back and his conclusion is all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Everybody here who lives for that, serving themselves, will always look back in life and regret it and say, man, I filled my life with self, and what did I get? Nothing. I can't tell you how many people who've been knocking on death's door and the regrets and the guilt that comes from them in regards to how they live their life. If we could just settle that early on in life, we'd, we could experience a much greater joy in life, especially toward the end of days. But he experienced vexation. Now, the word vanity is empty. It's like vapor. That's where the word comes from, vapor. I was out Monday, I think it was, when the temperature got down in the 30s, shocking. And I could whew, see my breath every time I breathe. You see that vapor and disappears. That's what that word va vanity means. It's like whew, it's here and it's gone. And vexation is longing for something that does not satisfy. Longing for some. How many have experienced that? Where, man, you're, 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 you work hard. You're, you, know, you save your money. You go out and you buy something that you've just desired so much. And you, you've been driven by it. And then you get it. And then over time, 
that thing's not that important anymore. You realize, like, what was all the hoopla about? All the excitement just, it, 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 it faded quickly. And that just seems because that's what, that's what happens when you get full of yourself and you try to serve yourself, and then what happens is it's, you realize it's just vanity. In the end, the only thing that will ever satisfy any soul in here is Christ in serving him. And when you're serving Christ, you end up serving his people. That has fulfillment that we cannot explain. It's how you can't define it. But when we fill our lives with ourselves, then we find ourselves saying these very same words, vanity and vexation of spirit. It doesn't satisfy. This next verse, or the next, ah, not that one. All right, never mind. Can you go back to the first picture? Oh, see if we can get the first picture. I don't know. He might have this reversed. Go ahead. All right, just leave it up there. Nope, go back. You got to love the way it goes. Oh, you're way too far, brother. We'll get back to the to the two cars. There you. All right. Okay. See that first car? The BMW. The white BMW. That was my first car. 1987. Fresh out of college. Not a penny to my name, but I had a BMW. That is a 320 IS, 1981, with gold BBS rims. Those were rare rims for people who know cars. And it had Recaro seats, had racing seats. When I got this car, I paid six grand for that car. It's a lot of money back in 1987 for a guy who had zero in the bank account. And I, I drove that car. I've never felt so proud. I had arrived four years of college. I deserved it. I was a young Christian and very immature, obviously. But I got in that car. And I could feel, I drove it, how important I was. I mean, I drive down that car, and you know how you get that look? Like, I mean, I wanted, I wanted people to look. This, this was a head-turner. I mean, back, and you look at it now, you're laughing. Let me tell you, in 1987, I got more comments on that car. And, and I would go down about every two weeks, and I would clean the rims on that car with a toothbrush, or a, a toothbrush make sure everything was beautiful. I'd wax it about every two weeks, about three or four hours I'd spend on that car. And a few months would pass by, and I was like, okay, this is getting old, cleaning this car. And then the mechanical repairs started. First, it was the alignment. Could never get it straightened out. It was always in the shop. And then there was the ignition. And then there was the clutch. And I started thinking to myself, this car gets me from A and barely to B and back to A. And so my pride was fizzling. Like, my importance of driving this car, like I might have drive down the road feeling important, but people only knew inside, I couldn't stand the car. I, I couldn't wait to get rid of the car that was depleting whatever savings I had. Because it, it was an expensive car to run. But I had to have that car. And I was experiencing what was the very words from Solomon. Vexation didn't satisfy and vanity, it was empty. So I sold it. It was a happy day for me, believe it or not. It's like boating. You buy a boat, it's a happy day. You sell a boat, it's even happier. <laughs> now, I moved to Miami with my beautiful bride, my wife, Eileen, and that's the car I buy. 500 bucks, 1977 Buick Oldsmobile. Now, that's not the exact picture, but that's the color, and it had white interior. 
We named it Das Boat, which is the boat, because it was the size of one. It sucked gas like one. And I didn't drive it down the road. It was more like this. It was embarrassing. It was honestly embarrassing. It was God's way of humbling me. I'm full of pride. Now I'm driving this. Now, this is a true story. I come home from work. I've, only, I've been in Miami about three months. I park the car, go into Eats, 5 o'clock. It's a beautiful day out. Take the dog for a walk. Come up. My car's missing. Right in front of my house, just a little condo. And I go in. I said, Eileen, did, who took the car? Did, you know, did your brother take the car? She says, no, but who would take the car? <laughs> She's like, and I said, somebody really desperate. I mean, this is... Now I'm nervous. I have another car, not much better than this. It's about 2 in the morning. I hear rumbling going on. I'm freaked out. I'm like, oh, man, they're stealing the other car. I go outside, and there's that car parked in the same parking side. And the cop is out there, and he's, he's, he's writing a report out. And I thought to myself, I got to go talk to this guy. And we get out of the car, and I said, man, it was stolen. I'm telling you, the car has been stolen. It's been gone. And, you know, you could feel the hot engine, and you could see the column, the steering column had been broken into. And serious as a heart attack, that guy steps back, and he says, I can see why they brought it back. <laughs> now, brother, that's when you've been humbled. You know God has a way. Vanity and vexation of spirit. Well, you've got to imagine the people that stole that car and how, you know, they're just, I mean, we, we can't steal this car. Anybody who owns this car is desperate. They, they brought it back. The Lord, and I kept that car for about two years. It was a struggle, but it was a, it was a good experience for me from going from that full out of college thinking I deserved it to that, which is really what I deserved. And, and a lesson in life. And I know there's some humor to it, but the reality is that's how God teaches us lessons in life about what's important. Is, uh, now, I, I love BMWs. I love nice cars, but I don't drive down the road because I want people to look at me. I drive them because I enjoy them and I like them. But the, no other reason for that than that. But going to the next slide, I thought about this verse. This is a verse I, have, uh, I think about quite a bit. So my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, number one the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns, which are cracked and, and holes in them, that hold no water. And that's talking about a broken cistern is an empty vessel, a, van, a vessel of vanity that's leaking all the time. Now, God wants to fill you as a vessel. He wants to fill you and overflow. My cup over what? Floweth. That's what God wants. But, but when we are living for things that, create pride in our life, we end up with a lot of holes in our life that God has to spend time plugging all the time instead of overflowing in our lives. And that's exactly what we can be. And th that word forsaken should hit home to us. How do I end up forsaking the Lord? How? There's a lot of different ways, and we're going to look at one of them this morning in a real kind of a serious manner because this hits home for all of us. Brother, if you can, next slide. How prosperity... Can lead to pride. Now, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong with wealth, prosperity, success. I'm not, I'm not harping on that. 
I'm not telling people this is wrong to be. It's wrong when our wealth and our prosperity and our success replaces God. Okay? It's that simple. If God empowers you to have that stuff because he knows you can manage it and that you treat it as a steward and you do the right things, then God may heap more to you. Abraham was wealth. There are a lot, there's a lot of wealthy people here who have learned to manage wealth. Maybe they didn't start off that way, but God has prospered them. Not for themselves, but for others and for the church. And you get to the benefits of that. But the reality is prosperity can lead a lot of people down the dangerous road of pride. And, and, and we'll look at that, how that happens. Because without a proper biblical viewpoint or, or an understanding of how God looks at wealth, we can end up on a dangerous road with prosperity. And we've got to constantly keep ourselves in check. Because this, as I look out, I would say a majority of us would be deemed wealthy. Now, wealthy is relative. All I have to do is walk down the street, and my neighbor's got a much bigger house than me and much nicer cars. So we can always find ourselves people wealthier, people poor, but it's very relative. We can go to another country and find out we're very wealthy. Super wealthy. I mean, I, I don't care if you live in a shack here in Fort Myers and you drive a old 77 Oldsmobile Buick, you're wealthy compared to the majority of people in the world. And so prosperity can lead to pride. In Hosea 15.6, it says, according to the past, according to their pastor, so they were filled. God gave them what they, and then what happened? Their heart was exalted. They replaced what they were given with themselves instead of God. And therefore, there it is, they have forgotten me. Wealth has a way of making us feel secure, confident, cocky. We can do what we want, when we want, how we want, and then we forget God in the meantime. And so I go back in Deuteronomy in chapter 8, and I read this. I do a kind of a spiritual checkup in my own life with prosperity and success. And, and I go back to this chapter a lot and, and talks about, you know, how God sent them through the wilderness and humbled them. That's what he taught them. He wanted to prove to them that they needed God. So when they were in the wilderness, they had nowhere to go but look to God. They, for the food, for the water, for shelter, they needed God. God says, now I'm taking you out, and I'm going to place you in a land, and I am going to pour it on. That's what he said. I'm going to give you everything you can imagine. So you've gone through this wilderness, now I'm going to give you your heart's desire. Look what he says, eaten and art full. You have goodly houses, herds and flocks, which is their, a lot of their income. Silver and gold's multiplied. All that thou hast is multiplied. Wow. God laid it on, but he said these next words. Thine, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. So you get all this, now all of a sudden, you're replacing me with the things I've given you. Isn't that something? God gives us the clothes on our back, the food, the car, the house, the job, the skills, the gifts, and all. And then we take it to ourselves as if we own it. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. And when we're like that, the Bible says our hearts lifted up, which is the very term that was used in Ezekiel 28 with the anointed cherub when he had everything that God gave him. He was the most powerful creature God ever created. Still outside the Holy Trinity, he's the most powerful creature 
that's in, in the heavens and the earth. And yet we found with everything God gave him, his heart was lifted up. He wanted more. What did he want? He wanted to be like God. He wanted the power of God. And he says, thou say in thy heart, my power and my might and my hand hath gotten me this wealth. Hmm. Wow, that's where it all started. Gotten me this wealth? I thought the Lord gave us this. So the Lord settles this issue for all of us. You, can, you can't serve, there it is again, serve it to be served or to serve. We can't have two masters. Ooh, this is a whole other subject in itself. You either love God or you love your money. Or you hate your money and you love God. And it's, he really settles, he, he, there is no gray, you notice there's no gray area with God in this matter? It's just one end to the other end. And I always thought back, well, how do I know if I love something? Maybe more than God. And we've all been guilty. I'm, I know I have. How will I know? Because it's where I spend most my time. If you love something, you're going to spend time with it. Just like I went back to my BMW. I spent four hours, maybe once a week, in the first three months cleaning that car. I love that car. How foolish. But I love that car. That's where I spent my time. So we always know, what do we love? It's where we spend our most time. And so God clears up this matter to keep your heart from being lifted up. Serve God, but not, not your, the goodness of, that God has given you. When we exalt ourselves as more important than God, what we're saying is, I'm in control. I'm in charge of my destiny. And we may not say those words, but our actions sometimes prove otherwise. So now, we're going we're gonna to bring this to a close. Just stop right there for a second. Study of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> this is quite the character. Nebuchadnezzar, we can read the next verses. Interesting comments here before we kind of have to preface this about what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. But in the next, in the next verse, thou, just, yeah, stop there, brother. Thou, O king and king of kings, for the God of heaven, notice, hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Everything we have, everything we own, everything we are able to do, God gave it to us. And that perspective will change your life if you live it. When we wake up and we somehow think, well, Maybe I've got something to do with this. Woo, get ready. You're, there's a dose of humility coming somewhere. And we've all learned this. We've been, that's why I said when you're, when you're young, you, you think and you're invincible, you're cocky, you're confident. You, you want the world, you got the tiger by the tail, and then God sends you children after you get married. And then, he, and then he sends you financial hardships, and he, 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 he demotes you in your job, and you know, you have a loss of something, and you go through these experiences, and you just humble and humble and humble because we, we, we don't learn the first time. It would be great if we did, but God has. And so as you look back in life, you're like, whoa, I won't, I'm not going to do that again. I don't want to go through that. So many experiences in my own personal life where I, I don't have time to tell, but God has just took this old boy and put me into the wilderness at a time where I didn't think, I deserved it. But then as I got through that wilderness, I started to realize, man, God, I wasn't depending on you. I'm depending on me. 
So God teaches us, well, Nebuchadnezzar's about to learn, learn some stuff. Now, Jesus said, thou couldst had no power at all against me, talking to Pilate, who said, don't you know I have the power to crucify thee? Oh, Jesus, says, I love these words. You have no power, no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Everything comes from God. And so, Nebuchadnezzar is just one of those guys who's going to have to learn this lesson the hard way. So, old Neb is a force to be reckoned with until God decides to teach him a lesson. Okay, so, first two things. Do you want to study about the future Antichrist? And what the king that's coming to rule the world? That's going to have power over the world and all the nations? You've got to study Nebuchadnezzar. Because he's that type of antichrist. He had power over all the kingdoms, all the nations. He was numero uno. In some sense, he's, if we look at it in modern day terms, Nebuchadnezzar was like your modern day Putin. Though Putin doesn't run the whole world, Nebi did, but Putin has power. All he has to do is press a button and it's over, folks. That's all he has to do. That's power. And Putin... And uh, Mussolini, Hitler was a perfect example of a type of antichrist and someone who wanted to rule the world. They are out there. And there, there's uh, the guy in China, what's uh, Xi Jinping, the president of China. No different. These are, these are people like Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what the king spake and said. Is not this great Babylon that, here it is, I have built by the might of my power, and for the honor of my majesty. Now, this is how lost folks think. This is never how believers should think. But I'm afraid many a believer gets in this trap, especially when prosperity comes their way and success into the next. So essentially, Nebuchadnezzar ascribed to himself that which was given to him of God. You're, you're taking something that God gave to you or loaned to you or bought, bought and you're ascribing it and to yourself. That's pride. When I think it's mine, when it is really essentially God's. So pride will always manifest itself in this way. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've achieved. Now, how many times have you caught yourself in this boat? I just, last week I was talking in a joking manner, but I found myself kind of, in a prideful moment where I was like, hey, you know, and, and I was really focusing about me like I was something important at the moment. And I, I Lord just said, up, oh, that's pride. And I'm glad he did. I want that, I want that conviction, but that's kind of where it, 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 it finds itself in this I, I, I. And so, you know, what God hears, blah, blah, blah. That's all he hears, blah, 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 wah, 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 wah. He doesn't care about what you think about yourself. He cares about what you're doing for him. Serve or be served. So what did this attitude get old Nebi who thought, I did all this, okay? It got him a massive, and I mean massive, dose of humility. How many in here who've been saved for a while have been humbled by God? Raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm sure you have. You're just tired this morning, right? Because everybody who's been around a long time has been humbled by God at some point, right? A massive dose of humility. He said to him, 
thy kingdom out of Daniel 4, verse 31, thy kingdom is departed from thee. God took something from him. Have you ever had God take something from you to teach you a lesson? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Now, he's king, and now God says, now you're going to dwell with the beast. You're going to deal with the animals. You've gone from this level to this level. And what God does, he goes from king to the beast, is God takes his mind for seven years. He grows claws like, like fingernails like claws. He grows hair long like eagle's feathers, which is like you've seen hair that people don't wash or they just let it grow and then they, I guess Rastafarians, you've seen their hair? You guys know what Rastafarians are? The, the hair like that, just long. That's what happened to him. And this guy had people cleaning his hair all day long and cleaning his nails, and now he's growing like a wild man. That's God's way of getting us, getting our attention sometime. Now, this is an extreme case. I get it, but it can happen to any of us. And we got two choices in this life, I think, every day. We, we can choose to humble ourselves like the publican, Lord, be merciful to me, or we can be the other one's like, well, we'll just wait. I'm not, I don't have any issues. I don't think I have any issues. I'm not prideful for sure. And then the God has to teach us a lesson. So it's either we humble ourselves or eventually God humbles us. And when God humbles us, you'll never forget it. Amen? So I'm going to choose the latter. I'm hoping that I don't want God to humble me, but sometimes I don't even see my own pride, so God has to. It's like getting a sermon. How many of you heard a sermon and you kind of sense like, mm, he's stepping on my toe, but really, I think he's stepping on my neighbor's toe. You know, or I think, you know, I think so-and-so struggles with this. Our mind goes right away like, it's not about me. He's not, he's not talking about me. And God says, I'm talking to you. And you say, no, Lord, you're talking about him. You got the wrong guy. He says, no, I'm talking about you. And then what happens? We harden our heart, stiffen our neck, and we don't listen. God says, okay. How am I going to get your attention? And that's when the humility or God's humbling lessons take place. Now, so all this takes place seven years with Nebuchadnezzar, but he comes out of this thing. This is what the, the beauty about this story is the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I couldn't tell you for sure if old Nebi got saved. I believe he did. I think we'll be shocked when we get to heaven to see some of the folks that got saved. Because the, the chapter ends. This is, this is the last you hear about Nebuchadnezzar. And Belteshazzar, what Belteshazzar is the next, his son is what you read about next. Kind of follow in dad's footsteps. But Nebuchadnezzar comes out of this lesson a new man. In Daniel 4, 54, these are the words that you hear him say. I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever. Whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Now, does that sound like someone who's full of pride? Where is he ascribing the glory to and the honor? To God. So God took him to that place to get him to say these words and to think in these terms. I believe he's, he's changed man at this point. And, and, and it's, so I always think someone like this has got their priorities straightened out, unfortunately, the hard way. In the next and last verse. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol. These are the last words you read in his life, in his chapter. After this, this is it. You never hear about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar again. You don't hear about how he died. You don't hear anything. But these are the last words, which is beautiful. This is where God, God doesn't humble you to hurt you. He, hurt, he humbles you to get you to this place. It's about him, not you, not me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, and honor the king of heaven. Wow, that, that does not come from lost people, those kind of words. And all whose words are, works are truth and his ways judgment. And these are the final words he said. If they, drum roll, please. And those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Those are the last words. Nothing said again. Nothing said again. God knows how to humble us, but let's keep ourselves humble before God. And, and perhaps we can avoid a lot of what we just, we, we read about how God deals with us sometimes in our pride. So may, may the Lord bless us here with this study and just be remindful of, of, the, of the dangers of pride. There's so much out there that can cause us to be prideful and may we avoid it at all costs. And the best way is let's just serve God. Serve God together. Serve God in every, every aspect of our life because that's who gave us every ability to do uh, and to have what we have. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to spend time together as your people and study the subject of pride, a very serious subject, Lord. I know you take it serious, and you're, you're, you're definitely trying to teach us something here. May you help us, Lord, to just uh, meditate upon these truths and, Lord, uh, to walk... Um, in, in the manner that's pleasing to you, in a humble manner. She said, you know, that you give grace to those that are humble, Lord, that you resist the proud. May we be a people that are greatly used of God because we've humbled ourselves. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. We ask you to bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.